You're listening to Elephant Out the Room. Welcome to a, another episode of Elephant Out the Room. And today it's my first remote session, which is very exciting. I've got a previous guest on the show by the name of Jess. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hi, I'm Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So we're going to be, uh, we're, we're both at university, so we kind of wanted to yeah. focus this on our different experiences at university. Jess is in her second year. And yes. then kind of look at look at ways we've kind of dealt with any issues that we've had during lockdown, especially whilst at university. So I think to begin with, it'd be great if uh, a listener could get an idea of what, what what uni you're at, what you're studying, and kind of where you're where you're at at the moment with with studies. Yeah, so um, um, I study medicine at Hull York Medical School. Um, I'm currently based in York, but um, with my medical school, it's kind of split between Hull and York, so I can be based um, in third year anywhere, like Grimsby, Selby, Hull. Um, but at the moment, I'm in York. I'm in my second year out of five. Um, I did a gap year before I came because I couldn't get in, um, but I'm here now. Was that, was that the main... Were you thinking, like, when you were 18, were you thinking, mm. like, I definitely want to do a gap year, or has that just happened because you struggled to, to get in? Um, I did, did definitely did not want to do a gap year because I'm someone that like absolutely loves routine and structure and I was like well, what am I going to do for a whole year but when I didn't get in it's such a blessing in the sky it's had the best year ever but um yeah, yeah definitely definitely was not planned at all and it but yeah. it seems to work out quite well for you because obviously you had the traveling experiences and I think you went yeah you went volunteering that year as well yeah yeah definitely um I'm really glad that Karina um did it at the same time as me um so yeah. we kind of bounced off each other. So I went into raiding, then she went into raiding, then I she did the volunteering, then I copied her. Because it's a vice versa thing. <laughs> That's what best <laughs> so, friends are for. Well, exactly. Yeah, you copy each other. So that was nice. <laughs> and I wasn't all alone in my gap year, which was nice yeah. as well. And it kind of put you in good stead for starting uni after a year's experience of doing something different. And then kind of you had the like, thirst mm. for, to learn again after a year out of school. Yeah, but it was definitely like quite hard going into first year of uni and forgetting how to revise, how to study, how to like even use Microsoft Word. I didn't touch the laptop for like academic reasons in a whole year. So <laughs> starting off with like lectures on the kidney, I was like, oh my God, this is, this is insane. Like, what <laughs> Throwing is you in the deep end. It really did, yeah. So um, it was a really hard adjustment, but I'm so glad I did it because it set me up for like living on my own. Like going into halls... Um, you realise how inept some people are. Like, they don't know how to mm. use washing machines. They don't know, like, people mop the floors of fairy liquid. And you're <laughs> like, well, what is going on? <laughs> All kinds of experiences. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, you meet quite a wealth of people when you move into halls. So I'm glad I had that experience of dealing with people like that, I think. <laughs> yeah. And then, so you kind of, from September till when COVID hit at the start of the year through to about February, March time, how mm. how was that? Did you really enjoy like the first six months of uni, uni yeah, in terms um, of the social side and? Yeah, definitely. Uni, um, I absolutely loved uni. It definitely was a hard adjustment, and in the beginning there was like highs and lows because um, it's just such a weird experience living alone with a bunch of strangers. I think, um, but I absolutely ended up loving it and um, best time I've ever had. Mm. And when COVID hit, um, I think I def- definitely dealt with that quite badly because I was so used to just going out all the time and um, being so social and even little things like going to my lectures and you go for coffees after with your uh, course mates, things like that, that kind of all stopped straight away and it hit on my birthday so I had to leave York uh, to get home in time for lockdown on my birthday which was a shame so I had so many plans for it but um, yeah. hey ho. Was it kind of, because I, I, obviously I wasn't at, at university um, last year, so I was I was working and I didn't really notice too much of a change except mm. from working from home. Um, yeah. It felt like at universities, did it hit quite suddenly? Like all, all, of a, all of a sudden you kind of pack up your things, have to yeah, it basically it, kind of evacuate home. It was it was so weird because um, a lot of my tutors, well, they are, they're all doctors. And um, when this kind of COVID thing started coming out, when you could hear it about China, so I actually did an SIP, which is like a research module about COVID before the COVID um, really hit the UK, about how it was affecting China. And um, it was kind of almost just, it just didn't seem real. I think all, all, even my doc, like the GPs that, um, that teach me and stuff are saying that it's 
not a big deal as like the flu um like it's not going to affect the uk it's, it's different so no one kind of took it seriously and then out of nowhere like we got this announcement on the bbc then i was packing my bags and in two days i had to leave home for a lockdown so it yeah. was it was the strangest experience really yeah. surreal i think because that's another thing obviously because you're doing medicine you kind of yeah got a more of an idea rather than the general public as to what oh, covid is but then it <laughs> <laughs> but then it suddenly hits and yeah it's kind of a completely unknown territory yeah um, it, it was so weird like the day before I, I had to go home and we got the email that halls were all closing unless you had like unless you were an international student that couldn't get home you had to leave um I was out clubbing so for me wow. I, I didn't understand how serious it was because I was out clubbing in a room full of like hundreds of people um there's people getting off left right and center and then we're being told like social distance get home now yeah and that so was your I last thought, ever club night yeah that's my last ever club night yeah obviously you had to go home as well what kind of impact did it have on the learning and all the exams that you have towards the end of the first year um yes yeah, so everything got made online and my exams got made non-detrimental so um in first year I think this is something that only applies um, for medicine or like veterinary students in first year. Or um, I'm not sure I could be completely wrong, but our first year exams are detrimental, which means if you fail, you either get kicked out or you have to repeat the year. Then if you fail it again, um, you're definitely getting kicked out. So um, so I was like shitting myself these exams, basically. Can I swear yeah. in this podcast? Of course. You okay, can swear great. as much as you'd like. <laughs> I was shitting myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was really scared because I um, hadn't really taken first year too seriously. I kind of made it more of a social thing. And um, so I thought these exams were going to really like do me over. So everyone, I think, got made not to mention and it doesn't matter if you fail or pass. Um, that was a massive relief. But I do think it had a massive effect on everyone's studies um, because I don't know. It's just it's not the same learning off a computer screen for like yeah. four hours, five hours a day. So I have like 26 hours a week, maybe like mm. like roundabout. And doing that all online was just like pathetic, like especially clinical skills. So mm, part of my I, course is learning like clinical applications and to do that over a computer screen, like it's, it's, it's not, it's actually not doable. Oh, it's so different. I, I definitely want to touch on online learning a bit later on because yeah. that's kind of my experience at first year. Um, mm. I also just wanted to ask how you thought the, the university uh, dealt with it in in March and kind of, Send, sending you home and making all their decisions did they do quite well considering um yeah, I, th- I think they did as best they could I mean like I mentioned before I think at that time when, when universities were sending people home no one was really taking COVID that seriously I don't think we fully understood the impact it would have on our lives so yeah. um, my uni did really well it gave everyone a refund on their accommodation so I was mm. catered as well and they gave everyone a refund for the for the money they're wasting on food um yeah which I, I think was really great because I know in some universities people have had issues getting their money back from accommodation they haven't been living in, mm. which is really bad. So it's I just think such a confused it. time. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously nothing's written in the contracts to explain a situation like this. Yeah. And then, yeah, especially I do feel for international students at that time made it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Because they, maybe they had to stay in accommodation and just everything's closed. All their friends have yeah. gone home. That's my um, my flatmate who I'm living with now, um, Keaton. Um, he's an American international student, and at the time, his parents were actually travelling, and they got um, isolated in like I think it was Italy. So he couldn't go home. So he was there the whole time by himself in university in halls, and he ended up meeting his girlfriend there, which is great for him. Lovely. But um, before he met his girlfriend, I can imagine how lonely it must have been. Yeah. And, and yeah. just like sudden going from that kind of high of everyone there and doing so much at university to, yeah. to that is complete opposite ends. Yeah, definitely. I think what might be quite quite funny to do is obviously um, I've just started in September. I started at University of Leeds, so fairly close to York. It mm. might be just quite, quite useful comparing <laughs> our first years, even though they've only been a year apart. Yeah. Um, just to see how different things have been. So. I'm not sure what the best place is to start. Maybe even kind of uh, your your how your first day compared to mine. If we if we yeah, start with that. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, I reckon it's quite. I don't know actually. Quite similar. That like, I was shitting myself on my first day. Mm. I don't know how you felt, but on I, the drive I was... up. Go on. <laughs> you go, Con. 
I was uh, very apprehensive. Obviously, we mm. live in kind of a similar area, so it was over a four-hour drive. Um, I had everything packed, so I was quite prepared. However, I was driving up on a Thursday, and I knew that upon arrival, I would be the only person in my flat. So oh, I no. got in quite late at night, and I unpacked. I wasn't sure, because I knew other people were already in my accommodation block, but not in my flat. So I wasn't mm. too sure whether to venture out try and meet someone um so I kind of just stayed in on that first night and then I had another night on my own because no one was arriving until the weekend so that kind of opening couple of days was very difficult because I wasn't too sure whether Mm. to just wait for flatmates to arrive or to try and branch out and meet people which is always quite difficult to do so sad yeah it was (laughs) (laughs) I was because I'm under the impression that most university years you all arrive on the same day so it's a lot easier oh that sounds horrible i don't know what i've done (laughs) if i had arrived like that it wasn't the best first couple of days i have to admit yeah but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger Um, yeah yeah (laughs) when i arrived um everyone was already there and mine in my experience was like a typical i guess teenage experience where i turned up and my parents straight away were mortifyingly embarrassing they were like in front of people like I'm trying to put my stuff in my room and they were like go say hi to her oh go on like right in front of the person you know um, <laughs> so I was absolutely mortified like you're nine but, years old <laughs> literally they were like knocking on people's doors for me I was like please leave um but yeah I think everyone's so unlike your experience unfortunately for you no one was there <laughs> but <laughs> for for me everyone was already there and everyone kept their doors open and oh, um wow. we all had a cup of tea when we first like moved our stuff in and we all got like obviously a bit obliterated in the evening yeah and um did you go out that first evening yeah we did so um the way york set up is there's colleges and it within the main uni so i had my first like college night out and so i met loads of other people in different flats that were in my like college and it was a great night and that kind of was like rinse and repeat for the first week yeah so yeah (laughs) <laughs> that is the complete opposite i probably the, i'm trying to think of something eventful that happened in my first week um i went to the park a few times it's harder for you though cause i think they had to stagger it didn't they yeah is that was that why everyone came late yeah they had to there was a lot of reasons they, they had to stagger it so there was a whole kind of nine day period in which people could arrive to their flats and in my particular flat all the four other people arrived kind of towards the back end of that that particular date um another kind of big thing was that upon arrival the five of us didn't really know what to do um yeah you know in terms of do we go to the pub there's not really anything else to do apart from that i suppose we could try and mix with other flats um Mm. so obviously being I'm slightly older so I'm completely I've been to kind of freshers events and and visited a lot of universities before so I was completely aware of kind of what tends to happen um and I knew that this was a lot different but I also was a bit worried in terms of hearing about parties getting shut down people getting fines because you know it was like kind of late September time they were being very strict on Covid um Mm. so that was another kind of worry so to be honest that as mixed with obviously my my flat and then a few other potential course mates um but there wasn't there was really wasn't a lot of kind of sociable events going on and anything that was was happening was a lot of it was online as well it was illegal (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) no i've seen that quite a lot so in second year you have the opportunity to be a stick which is like a second third year helper for the um for the first years and you're, you're supposed to typically go out clubbing with them and get them home safe but this mm. year um I, I'm a stick for a flat and it's a lot different and I just talk to them and give them like you know help if they need anything on Facebook and things and it, I just think it's so horrible for them because I feel like we'll get onto this later as well but they're kind of stuck between sitting in their rooms being lonely not doing anything or um going out and making friends but then facing you know fines or being like blamed for the second wave of the pandemic Mm. so a lot of them just sit in their rooms doing nothing all day and all night and it's just not it's not ideal at all yeah I I completely think that nine times out of ten uni is probably one of the most sociable and easiest places ever to make friends completely agree Mm. with that however right now I think it's probably one of the hardest places to make friends because 
in a lot of ways you're actively discouraged not to meet people because yeah. let's say even when the pubs are open you can only stay on your table so you couldn't even mm. kind of mix tables it's yeah, very difficult it's to mix households yeah um, and if you get stuck with an absolute like shit flat which does happen because there are oh, so yeah. many weirdos in the world <laughs> got to watch so, out. So, you gotta watch out so many weirdos go to uni and um i was quite lucky in, <laughs> literally yeah so when i um my first year halls i quite liked a lot of my flat but um anyone that you didn't like it wouldn't bother you that much because you had such you had other friends outside your flat so i could go out with my course mates and i wasn't so concentrated with my flat only and that was Mm. me getting along with them so i can imagine if you didn't get along with your flat and they weren't your people you had different interests nothing in common and they're the only people you can socialize with for your first entire year yeah i'll be dropping out honestly i couldn't i couldn't stay there very tough um a way to kind of get through that is to join a society um because that's a very popular thing to do at uni so i'd like to compare how that experience was in terms of how did you hear about societies and what kind of ones were you looking to join and how did that process go? um, It was quite easy for me I think we had a freshers fair where you kind of walked around loads of stores and there were so many societies trying to get you to sign up and um, I just I just literally signed up for everything I went to every single thing under the sun (laughs) and some of them were so weird I went to dodgeball and I was the only girl in the entire room and it was very uncomfortable because some of the boys wanted to throw balls at me so Ooh. I was like always the last man standing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Little flirting tactic there from the boys. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit, yeah. Um, I, li- I tried everything under the sun. I joined all of them and then just didn't stop turning up to the ones I didn't like. Um, so it's quite easy for me. So I'd be interested to know what it was like for you <laughs> with it all being online. Again, couldn't be more opposite. So I'll, I'll <laughs> run you through what happened in my end. Got an email saying there's going to be a whole week of online society meetings. So you right. go on this you go on this spreadsheet, you click on a link when the time is ready, and then you join um, kind of a virtual meeting session to meet the society. Yeah. So the first one I had down was Spanish. So I kind of clicked on the link. I get there and it's just uh, just two girls just on the camera. <laughs> and then I go, you're right. And then they go, yeah, this is the Spanish society. I'm like, great. Um, what do you guys do? And they say, we kind of talk about Spain and... <laughs> I was like, cool, okay. Oh, um, so it's not a Spanish class. It's just a, not, an just, opportunity to discuss Spain. <laughs> Spain and kind of the culture right. and the language, but not kind of necessarily Spanish lessons. So uh, within about two leading, minutes... I think. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Spanish society, yeah. yeah. <laughs> within two minutes, I kind of went, all right, thanks, guys. I'll um, <laughs> might see you for the first session. And then that was it. Yeah. And that was kind of the experience throughout. I joined a kind of virtual thing for either maybe jujitsu or meditation Mm. or the debating society and it would be kind of an awkward uh (laughs) awkward couple of minutes chat and then that would be it and there wouldn't really be any new information that was Mm. exciting so then I kind of chose a few societies I have to say my favorite one was cross-country because of the ease of doing it um Mm. I definitely how do you do that virtually um well so we had a virtual online thing and then they said all right everyone meet next monday at the campus so i was so excited some actual in-person interaction yeah there was about 60 people um that evening yeah it was incredible um that's the biggest group of people i've seen this year (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and we all (laughs) we all um kind of did a monday monday night run and i've been running regularly until obviously the the lockdown um A few others. Uh, jiu-jitsu has been mainly online, unfortunately. Um, Buddhist meditation I've joined has been online. Wow. And um, the went radio for a bit society. Of a range, didn't you? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Spread out think, a bit. It's important, yeah, as you said, with with your time, just to throw yourself into all these different groups mm. and just see what you enjoy. Um, I just hope those Spanish girls don't listen to this podcast. Oh, no. Be. Not <laughs> at all. Maybe <laughs> next year I could start a <laughs> learning Spanish society. Um, <laughs> yeah. But overall, I have to say, it wasn't the best experience. So it was kind of, even with the societies I'm in, I I love cross country and and Mm. the radio society, but most of them are online. And Table Tennis Society sent an email a couple of weeks ago saying that they're open to play, but you have to wear masks while playing. Oh, that's good. Um, so that's a possibility, but again, (laughs) possibly. All right. (laughs) Again, not not just kind of as easy as the whole 
I think you had a day, didn't you, where you could go around to these different things and mix with everyone. Yeah, yeah so when, every time I turned up to something like dodgeball, squash, tennis, netball, football, like all these things I turned up to, it was very social because everyone was obviously freshers that didn't like know anyone. So big groups of people, everything had massive turns out, uh, turnout. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a lot different to what you're describing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, I haven't really given much thought actually to that, so it's quite a, like really interesting and also sad to hear that because I guess for me I didn't realise how easy it was to make friends that mm. weren't just in my course or my house. I could just go to a squash and that would be it, you know. Yeah. Again, I just like as I said, I'm I'm kind of a bit older and I'm not too. But if I was eighteen, I would really struggle because it's the difficulty of 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 meeting people and mm. being productive and just doing you know enjoying things that you're, you're meant to go to uni for is extremely different yeah. this year and I don't know when it will be normalized to be honest yeah. um and, and one last thing I wanted to touch on for, with that is how comparing our first kind of week of lectures as well just to see because <laughs> I imagine everything was on campus for you and you met a lot of your course mates um I'm not gonna lie to you Alex I didn't turn up to my first week of lectures <laughs> but <laughs> I did have um my own medic freshers week um, so I was quite lucky for that. So I never actually made it to my first week of lectures, but I did get to go to um, loads of medic fresher events and got to meet all my course mates um, like every day for a week. So that's how I made most of my course mates. So I'm still really good friends with today. Nice. Um, but yeah, um, when I start, did go, when I did start going to lectures, um, that was even a social thing because you'd sit with people, you would have like coffee breaks, or you'd go for lunch. Then afterwards, you might go to the library together. Yeah. And having them in person is so, um, I don't know the right word for it, but so more engaging because online, when you're in your room and you might not, like you might be in your pyjamas or something doing a lecture, I feel like it's so hard to engage. But in mm. person, sitting in the front row of a lecture where the lecturer is in person, you can ask questions. There's this, there's this really big engagement. Yeah. So I, yeah, it'd be interesting to know how hard it is for you adjusting to that. Um, yeah, again, it was a pretty terrible experience. It's, it's not necessarily the uni's fault at all, um, but the, the only time that I've been in a room full of my music course mates was, I think, on the first week, and it was for an hour, and it was just an introductory ses- session. We were to sit a metre apart, and we wore masks the whole time. And as no. we left the building, I was, luckily enough, I started speaking to one, a, a guy, and we, we've been speaking since then, but just That's online. Good um so I, I probably know about two or three people on yeah. like a first name basis from my course and your course is quite in. small anyway is it yeah. or am I wrong about that um fairly small I think the people we have all types of different modules I think the people doing my specific BA music course might be between 40 and 50 um yeah. so not huge but just the fact of like not having anything in person at all um and then having to kind of speak online to to people you haven't met in person who are also yeah. doing the courses and you know it's just not it's not a good way to meet someone it's sad as well because if you think about it in the long term you kind of need your course mates not even for friendship but for just um connections in future yeah. so i feel like music is quite a collaborative thing where you'd want these contacts and you'd want to meet people so when you're old and you're doing your own like projects you can rely on these people to call and ask for a hand or to promote things um i think that's sorry to (laughs) to interrupt i was (laughs) going to agree with you and just say uh, that's one of the main reasons that i went to university was to meet like-minded people who love music who play instruments and play with play with them but yeah it just hasn't happened yet but i'm sure hopefully down the line that will happen more but it's like i mean you did medicine partly to meet all these people who are interested in going to medicine and have these like really interesting chats about the body and so forth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sounded weird, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's not my prime topic of conversation with my course. (laughs) Let's speak about the body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, but I do get you. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And how has it been? So just moving on to your, to your second year, um, obviously you're in a great position to compare your first year and second year experience as well. So yeah. how do you feel it's gone um, with all the changes that have been in place? Um, I've actually really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like over lockdown, I became um, a better version of myself. So um, I've really I don't know, listened to more podcasts, kind of read more I, my mind-opening books, got a bit more into meditation, a bit of yoga, started 
eating healthier, started exercising more. And yeah. I've tried to take that one with uni. So I'm actually quite glad clubs are shut at the moment mm. because um, I have just smashed out work and I've just been exercising, keeping to my routine. Um, so second year, although I absolutely loved first year, second year, I think I've been definitely happier. Although I wasn't unhappy in first year, but I think it's more like a deep kind of happiness where I'm content, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, definitely, um, yeah. yeah. It's like completely different years you've experienced, but for different reasons, they've been yeah. really good. Um, yeah, exactly. I feel like you needed that first year to, to have a lot of fun and not necessarily, you know, go to the first week of lectures and just meet all these people. Yeah. But in the second year, it's kind of, because your course is, you know, very you have to pay a lot of attention to it there's a lot of hours that go into it um to to kind of self-improve like that is going to be useful to study yeah definitely and I think as well just moving into a house compared to halls is is actually like I loved halls but um being in your house where you have your own like a big room or a bigger room because my room was like a shoebox mm. um I could barely fit like a tit in it it was so small <laughs> and <laughs> so they were like expression games but it's just tiny Never heard it and before. <laughs> no but I have, I have a nice view out my window like last year I think I looked onto I don't know something clapped and this year I have a lovely view and I live near a park and I live close to town and go in and get coffees all the time it's That's it's lovely. really great yeah yeah I'm really enjoying I think, it. yeah student accommodation don't have the best sites I mean I can see looking out of my window a fire station um, oh nice so I always get loads of fire engines driving past and I can also see a holiday in so oh, beautiful. No, not quite the the nature <laughs> I wanted to see, but yeah, yeah. As you say, with a second year house, that can change. Yeah, is that and something bef- that um, leads us started looking at already? People in your course or people in your house about getting? Oh yeah, P- people are really panicking because obviously the inability to meet anyone means yeah. that you kind of maybe have to live with your housemates or you have to Facebook and ask anyone if they want to live together for the second year. So. There's a lot of messages going around already, even though it's only the 15th of November. So yeah, I well, I remember that. Yeah, exact same thing in my in my year. People were, like signing houses in November, and they've been in uni for like a month. It was crazy. Mm. It's definitely something to think about, but I think that luckily, and especially a place like Leeds, there's always going to be availability. Definitely, definitely. And before we, because we definitely wanted to talk about kind of the motivations and the things we're we're doing to like reading and podcast, etc. But we just wanted to touch on the um, kind of media portrayal of students because there's definitely something to be said. Mm. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of a lot of the negativity you do see on um, um, kind of sites like BBC and Sky. You're yeah. kind of saying, and even like kind of interviews with the general public about how universities going back has massively affected the infection rate. And mm. I think there's an article on the BBC that says in Nottingham, um, cases rose by three quarters by seventy five percent just within a month just within a month because of the students it was mainly eighteen to twenty two year olds that were um, kind of spreading it between themselves yeah. so there 's definitely a lot of negativity towards that, and I wanted to get your opinion on 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 that um I think it 's a bit tricky because I think there is i mean it 's horrible to admit but there is some truth that I think students are probably the most likely like age group or demographic to like not really give a shit about the lockdown rules but that is because statistically we are probably the least likely to have any long-term effects or um like die from it so for students that have been in lockdown for so long like I explained my flatmate Keaton that was by himself for months in his room and not seeing anyone to then be told he's being plunged back into that again and there's not really any support. I mean, our uni is not offered barely any support for mental health or for people feeling lonely or any outreach programmes. The government hasn't given any any thought really to students that are locked in their houses, far away from families, not allowed to go home. Um, international students that can't go back to their home country and haven't seen their families for months. So my Norwegian flatmate hasn't been home for eight months. He's recently just gone home um, because of the second lockdown. But he couldn't see his mum or his brothers for eight months, which is crazy. So I think students are kind of put in this place where, I don't know, it's tricky, isn't it? I don't really know how to put it, but we're kind of put in this place where we're forced to, like everyone in the country, stay home and isolate. But 
at the, at the same time, it's hard for students to empathise with that when statistically mm. we are the least likely to hurt anyone or to hurt ourselves with this virus. I know we could pass yeah. it on to other people, but if students are smart and they're not meeting the 80-year-old grandmothers or their 60-year-old you know, aunties, mm. I don't know. It's it's very difficult. I think I agree with you in, in terms of I have a lot of sympathy for, for like especially early students, like first and second year students, because... Um, firstly, I had a look at the um, NHS website and just had a look at the, the total deaths between zero and to 19 years old. Mm. And up to the, so this is not too recent, but up to the 30th of September, a couple of months ago, there was only 21 deaths out of 30,000 that um, were under the age of 19. Right. Um, so I do, I do feel that there's a strong argument for students kind of 18 to 19 years old just thinking that it, you know it doesn't affect them at all um the 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 chance of them feeling you know, being very vulnerable from this virus is, is really low mm. so i can see why there's a frustration there and they want to experience the first year and, and get everything like the, the studying and yeah. the social side as much as possible mm. and i do think as well that if if a lot of students kind of keep in the bubble of their student accommodation and if, if yeah. they were to stay like that then I don't see a particular issue of yeah. a rising number of infections if that all stays within a particular demographic. Yeah. Um, however, I do see the side of other people as well and, and thinking about how, you know, you, you do need to, as with everyone's done with COVID, you're not just thinking about yourself. It's a mm. kind of everyone coming together. So I can get yeah. both sides of the argument as well. Yeah, definitely. But I feel as well... Um, not to get too political, but the government just won't take responsibility for any of these rising COVID cases. Like, for example, the Eat Out to Help Out scheme is like directly correlated with the rise in COVID cases. And still, they will not admit that had anything to do with the rise in COVID cases because it helped the economy. Yeah. So they won't, they're going to do it again after Tier 2. And, you know, people meeting up in vast groups and hospitality and getting drunk definitely has an effect on COVID cases. But the government won't admit that. And then they send a bunch of students that have been isolating and following the rules, sitting in their homes, back into university, back into campus. And then they expect them to not socialise and sit in their rooms and follow the rules. And there's nothing in place to support them doing that. And I think the students were the best scapegoat for the government to blame on these rising COVID cases and blame the lack of preparation and blame everything on, really, because we are such a prime target. Yeah. It's definitely a, a scapegoat to, to, to look at students when there's some government policies that have been questionable in terms definitely. of, I think the ETAP to help out is a great example. Mm. Um, and I love that scheme. Then, I'm not, I'm not yeah, bashing it. I'm just saying it, it. I mean, you can't deny it was related to the rise in COVID cases. Yeah. And, I don't know. <laughs> and then there's kind of instances where students are getting fined a lot of money for, for hosting us, like house parties and stuff. Yeah. And, there was a lot of videos around about the Halloween time. I don't know if you saw on, on social media of like massive, massive, massive gatherings of, of young people. Mm. And I can, again, I can see why that would make a lot of people frustrated, but yeah. it has to be all in, in context. As well, well. Um, I had actually a story on Halloween night. It was my flatmate's birthday and we have a house of eight and we were celebrating his birthday in our house. Um, only eight of us there and a neighbor walked past. So we have like disco lights in our kitchen and we have a really loud speaker and a neighbour walked past and assumed, because there was eight people in the kitchen that we were having a party, and she knocked on the door. Actually, she kicked it. And we were like, what the <laughs> fuck? So we opened the door, and she was screaming at us, accusing us of, like, we're, you're the reason that we're losing our jobs. It's because of people like you that we're going to second lockdown. And I think she just released all her anger she had about the lockdown onto us. And, you know, then she kind of walked off. She didn't really want to hear the explanation that it was a house of eight. So I understand people are upset, but I just think... They see students and it automatically, like, they make this connection in their heads that, you know, oh, they hear the news, our students having parties, they see a student, ah, oh, it's because of you, we're losing our yeah. jobs. Yeah. When all my house was, I know, been socially distanced, like, we're all, <laughs> we're all living together. I don't know, crazy. Mm. Yeah, and it was a bit unfair for her to release angle when you're having a party. Just the yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, overall, it's just, it's just, topic we can just speak about for ages but it's it's very difficult to know you know what's right and what's been because it's even difficult to compare to other countries because of the way the country set up in terms of even population densi density but yeah. even the way um 
way people uh, live, their diets, it's just very difficult to compare to compare anything. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, an attitude that I've taken, which links in quite nicely, is is to try not to get worried about extrinsic things and things that you you're not in control control of. So, for example, we're not in control of what we're what we're allowed to do necessarily in terms of going to the shops now or um, meeting up with people. So you kind of just have to focus on things that you can do, which mm. obviously, by the sounds of it, you've done very well during lockdown yourself. Um, yeah. So it might be a good chance to um, just talk about the things that we found most useful during lockdown and kind of the motivations that we've put in place to help us through as well. Yeah, definitely. Where, where do you want to start? Um, well, we both, I feel like a nice place to start would be a podcast because yes, in, in my eyes, well, probably one of the main reasons I started a podcast was from a, a particular guy called Joe Rogan who, who does yes. a fantastic podcast. And the reason why I like it so much is because... It's right wing. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but these um, some of the guests that he has on are just unbelievable people who I would never have come into contact with unless yeah. I listened to the podcast. And then when I come into contact with these people, uh, I then read their books or read articles, studies that they've done and just get lost in a completely different world. So... I think that's really helped me and how how because I assume you you do listen to a lot of Joe Rogan podcasts and other podcasts as well so how has that helped you um it actually sounds dramatic it actually has kind of changed my life um so you actually I think you were the first person that told me to listen to Joe Rogan I was listening to other podcasts at the time that were more like comedy based podcasts and not really um educational or motivational um they're just like something to pass the time with um, but the first Joe Rogan podcast I ever listened to was the one he did about sleep with the neuroscientist. Yes. And already I was suffering really bad with really bad like nightmares and just awful sleep pattern. I was sleeping at like three in the morning, waking up really late and um, just not getting a good night's sleep at all. And I didn't realise how much of an effect I was having on all aspects of my life. So after that like two hour podcast... I did all the things this guy mentioned and straight away my sleep changed. So that was like, whoa. <laughs> and then um, this, this changed my outlook on everything. So exercising, mm. they had a guy called Joe DeSena, I think, on there who does um, this big racing thing called like the Spartan Race. He created it. Yeah. And he, this guy is absolutely savage. And then he got me into running because it has made me so motivated. He was like, get up every day, four in the morning, go for like a 20 mile run, get home, shag my wife, eat a breakfast. Like, <laughs> he's just like, no messing about. Um, it's yeah, brilliant. It's just, yeah, I take vitamin D every day because I heard it on Joe Rogan's podcast. I take, <laughs> like, I don't know, it's just every aspect of my life, my diet's improved. I eat more like raw plant food than I did before, even though I was a veggie. Um, I try to cut down on processed food because of this podcast I read or I open my mind up about politics because... Um, I didn't realise how closed minds I was until I watched some podcasts with some figures that I always assumed were just very polar opposite to me on beliefs and it was me versus them attitude then listening to them I was like whoa we have so many similarities yeah so yeah every aspect of life really Mm. I think a couple of things I want to mention is is firstly I think it's helped us a lot because it's like a, a long form like he always says about how it's a long form type of media um, before you kind of see someone like, I don't know, it could be Katie Hopkins or Pierce Morgan, it could be anyone that's quite controversial. Mm. And then you'd only see like a five minute segment of them being yeah. controversial. And when when people sit down for two and a half, three hours, it's very difficult for them to be a dickhead <laughs> or to like yeah, not, yeah, be, so not be unlikable um, because you really actually get to know their ideas and thoughts. So for example, politicians like Bernie Sanders that have been on the podcast are just able to express their views so much better than like kind of a, a, a really quick online debate where you just yeah. wouldn't get a sense of who they are. Um, so that's a great thing. And to also to mention the the Matthew Walker, the, the book on why we sleep. Mm. It's, it's really funny how universities are notorious for in the first year, you don't kind of get as much work done and you go out all the time and your sleep's terrible. Yeah. When actually... 
having your sleep being negative is actually the worst impact on your studies mm. because your concentration levels are like so low if you've yeah. had four or five hours and motivation everything your diet would get worse if you have less sleep yeah. um just all the dangers that come with not having a set amount of sleep is it's quite a coincidence that like when you were telling those stories like about all those people that get dementia and alzheimer's that are notorious for having like two or three hours of sleep and I was like, you stay, I don't think I ever really understood until that podcast how much I was fucking up my life just by going to bed late, um, which seems so silly. But like mm. you said, it has such an effect on my studies, my course, like my irritability in the house, just everything. To the point where I feel really kind of guilty if it's like one thirty in the morning and yeah, I'm not asleep. Me too. And me too. I feel... Yeah, I, so I'm quite strict to myself. I, I do think that there's always a balance with these things and I don't want to be that guy who always falls asleep before 12 and never does anything else and always kind of has their eight or nine hours sleep. Mm. Um, or that guy who kind of sticks to a strict diet and then doesn't treat their souls when everyone's having a beer and a, a, yeah. a shitty burger. So I think it's all about me trying to implement their ideas in my life in a way that's yeah. sensible. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of times though doing a podcast um, where I like listen to it and I kind of beat myself up because that person that's on it lives their life the way I wish I could live mine. But sometimes it is unattainable and um, they, they have more money than I do. They can have a home gym to work out in their house and at four in the morning when there's lockdown and they have the money to spend on a raw plant-based vegan diet when I'm living <laughs> off like £10 a week as a student. And yeah. um, that, that obviously you have to kind of adapt it and apply it to your own life. But definitely the broad ideas that his guests come on with, especially yeah. in Joe Rogan's podcast, are attainable. Mm. And we uh, we can't kind of miss not mentioning uh, a guy, a journalist by the name of Johan Hari, um, yeah. who kind of really changed our attitude or my, mine specifically kind of towards drugs. Me too, um, yeah. Just based on the book. Um, I think it's called Chasing the Scream. And the book kind of focuses on the where the war on drugs started. So I think it was way back in the... Is it 1920s? Around that time? Yeah, yeah. With a guy by the name of Harry, uh, Harry Anslinger and how he yeah. introduced kind of these drug laws that have been just just gone so far and really punished people for taking these substances, some of which are even natural. Um, mm. And it's just... a, a a crazy book that opens your eye up into the power of kind of drugs and drug addiction and yeah. how many people are oh I could I could go on but yeah you, you quite yeah. enjoyed that that book and that author as well yeah that that book is like a prime example of how something kind of changed my viewpoint so radically so I heard him talk on Joe Rogan's podcast after I think you or Karina sent me the link and I was very like anti-legalizing drugs because I kind of went with the I guess um narrative that legalizing drugs means more drug users which means more drug addictions and and etc etc but listening to that book listen to podcasts and reading his book it is completely did like 180 on like everything I thought I knew about drugs and it taught me how uneducated I was I think that's like the best thing about podcasts is that it actually teaches you that you don't know everything and I think I don't know, I like to think of myself as quite an educated person, but doing the podcast and listening to them and having all these people from different backgrounds, you realise that there's so much on every topic like drugs that you just you don't know. Yeah. And and it's really like sleep, for example. Everyone thinks they know, like, oh, everyone thinks, oh, you need to get enough sleep. Like, it's kind of obvious. But mm. do you know the effects it has on mood or depression or your diet? Yeah. Or, like, it's just crazy. Do you think there's... um? Because the way we're saying now, obviously, we had our views on drugs. Then we had this podcast, read a book. Our views are completely, completely kind of one eighty in that respect. Do you think we have to be careful, like, of not believing someone or someone's writings or someone's studies too much to 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 cause the one eighty? Because, for example, that you had a story about Johan Hari about how he was a bit controversial before, and he's not maybe not always been a legitimate source. So yeah. do we do we have to consider that when we're thinking about changing our viewpoint as well? Um, I think definitely, absolutely. Um, 
I think that's the problem with a lot of media is that, um, and a lot of these like public figures is that they are so charismatic and so charming, and like Johan Hari was on his on Joe Rogan's podcast, that you kind of do get sucked into this, like I guess wormhole, and it's really hard to actually take a step back and look objectively on their arguments. Um, I think Johan's a good example because I, I when I read his book, it blew my mind, and then. When I was actually doing a little podcasting with you and Karina, I did a bit more research on him and found out he was accused of making up quotes. And yeah. um, he got caught out and actually lost his job in a famous newspaper because he got caught like just faking all these quotes or, or stealing quotes from other people's interviews and saying they were his own. And that shocked me because his book might be 100% legitimate, but I will never question his kind of authority, really. Yeah. But you're, you're definitely right. That is something to look out for when you do watch these podcasts, especially with Joe Rogan. He has quite a lot of political figures from both the left and the right spectrum, like Russell Brand to Milo Yiannopoulos. And mm. every podcast I listen to, I'm like, oh, such a good point. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And you kind of have to take a step back and think, yeah. am I agreeing with the point or am I agreeing with the person that's saying it because they're charismatic and charming and funny? Mm. That's what's easy to... I feel I find that when watching a lot of Netflix documentaries. So there's been particularly a few. There's one called Game Changers. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not. No. Um, trying to think of another example, but with Game Changers, it's a, a kind of a bodybuilder. I think he might be an MMA fighter. Um, and there's quite a lot of kind of studies or like particular people that he shows that have a very strict vegan diet and how it affects them in a very positive way. And mm. all these kind of things that he goes on to say about how good a vegan diet is for a fighter and how much better it is than, than meat. And then you kind of hear the other side of the story from a meat eater and then you hear about how some of the studies have been changed to kind of fit the narrative. So yeah. I think it's always something I have to think about is I don't want to get too carried away by hearing something like that or hearing a political figure making a fantastic speech or point. But then I always need to consider the other side of the argument. Um, yeah. something I'm trying to teach myself to do as well yeah that's um i think it's not too hard to do though i think the best thing about living in like this age i guess is that we have so much access to information so readily so if i was to listen to a podcast from someone that's really left-wing like russell brand who i listen to religiously i love him i always make sure i listen to a podcast that kind of goes against what he says to try and balance out my viewpoints and um Mm. there's just little things like that if you listen to I think on a vegan, like you said, like you listen to MMA fighter who's a vegan and suggesting the vegan diets are the best way forward. Maybe listen to a podcast on a guy that used to be vegan but now eats meat and the changes that's made to his life and, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, fantastic point. Yeah, just to try and get an idea of both sides. Yeah. Um, is there anything else, like, so let's say someone was listening and they kind of, again, because it is very, very difficult to... Um, to deal with this sudden change that's happened this year and to try and do all these different things that are productive and meaningful and try and make use of this time mm. hopefully that there is a kind of end to this in in the near future um is there anything you wanted to touch on that's really worked well for you that um because i know you, you mentioned like fitness and reading yeah where you'd advise to someone to try and start doing um i mean joe i think definitely fitness still um if I'm going like properly into it, um, I'm not talking about running a marathon or, or doing like some crazy exercise every single day. But I think, um, I just think as humans, we, we've been made kind of, you think about like hunter and gathering times to kind of always been like nomadic and on the move. I don't think we're made to sit on a desk chair all day and stare mm. at a computer screen for eight hours and not burn off any extra energy. And I think even if it's just a walk once a day to like get out some energy and like not look at your computer screen and... I just think we, even stretching on from fitness, but just like, as long as you're not looking at a screen or a bit bit of technology, yeah, 24-7, I think could do like the wonders for your mental health, like going for a walk and keeping your phone in your pocket on silent. So you can just go for a walk and even it's 10 minutes around the block and just look and not have like the outside world always in your hand. I think yeah. we'll just do wonders for your mood. It's so tough, isn't it? Because it was difficult before, but now even even more. Because in terms of you have the you have access to 
screens and and your phone so easily and a lot of what's going on so if you wanted to catch up with a family friend on zoom or if you had online lectures uh if you wanted to watch something pretty much a lot of kind of life at home does involve a screen and then obviously because we're not going out as much at all even when we are going out we may be listening to music or on the phone again so i completely agree with your point i've tried every day this week i tried to turn off my phone for a couple of hours a day just so i don't find myself just randomly picking it up and using it um and then I also try and not to use it at meal times um Mm. because I feel like when when did that happen like when did we start eating food and then just it was natural to just be on your phone whilst eating food like what happened to enjoying your food yeah I don't remember the last time I ate a meal and there wasn't like a tv on in the background or I was watching like a youtube video as I cooked yeah like cooking is supposed to be enjoyable but I seem to not enjoy it anymore unless I've got yeah. a podcast on, which I can watch as I chop my onions. Literally, when which did I um, just? When did that happen? Because <laughs> even even with running, I like I have to go on a few runs where I don't take my phone um, because I want to it? just experience how'd you track it. it? Well, that's the thing. I just have to like I did three miles the other day, but I didn't track it, so no one knows I did three miles. See, that's crazy because <laughs> going on to this. I'm obsessed with Strava, like I'm obsessed, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life, I love it, Um, (laughs) I wish I could be like a shareholder in it, I think it's amazing, but I have this complex now where I can't exercise without logging it, because I feel like if I don't log it, it's not real exercise, it didn't happen, because no one else, it's like this external validation thing, which I definitely need to work on, Mm. but um, if I don't have a kudos on a run, or like someone if I know it's not out there for other people to see, for me, I might as well not have done it, which is not the point of exercise. Mm. It's supposed to be for yourself, for self-improvement. But, um, and I, a lot I of hate struggle, to... yeah. <laughs> I hate to scare you, but I've, I'll send you something and it kind of talks about the, how there's, there is a worry into uh, mm. another type of addiction, which is to do with like um, those watches that record your heart rate and um, stepometers. Yeah, I have one of those, man. I, w- I literally and... look at it all the time. <laughs> If I'm on because... a run, <laughs> I'm checking my heart rate every second. Oh, God. It, oh, no. and I, I think, <laughs> I, again, it's surely not as bad as just, I don't know, endlessly scrolling or video games because there is a fitness yeah. element. But it is kind of a worry into how because that's what I'm trying to eliminate is just going on run sometimes or I don't log it or like I, st- I haven't got one of those heart rate things because I have an addictive personality and I'll be yeah. checking that all the time. Yeah. And I so that I'll, I'll send you I'll send you it on YouTube again it's a Joe Rogan thing I have to admit, I might oh, as well get a tattoo with Joe Rogan um but just talks about in detail about how we might a lot of people might be addicted to those type of kind of fitness tracker things it, I definitely am because um even if it's not um I mean I say kind of jovially about just like wanting external validation but just in terms of internal validation that I I judge myself a lot when I because the whole point of Strava is to track your runs I love looking at like run analysis and what my pace were in the first mile versus the third mile and like my heart rate like you said and I get so bummed out and my mood is ruined if I come back from a run and my pace was shit and it was worse (laughs) than my last two runs and I think oh like a run, should, you should come back from a run and feel like, oh, so glad I got out, endorphins, like, woo. But yeah. if I come back and I look at Strava and my pace is like 9.30 instead of 9, that's it, my day is ruined. I'm in a foul <laughs> mood because I think I've, I fucked it yeah. when I'm not and looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, you should be, every time you come back from something like that, you should be happy. Um, yeah, exactly. I definitely would, uh, if you want to just, I definitely would try like one run every couple of weeks where you just mm. kind of just go out and like yeah. you, let's say you run another route. So it means you don't know how far you've gone. You don't know your pace. You don't know how long it's taken. And and then you just kind of get back home and then you're like, right, I just ran. No idea how long for, but I just did it. Um, yeah. That it's might like a be good. I don't know. Session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll charge you a tenner for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that, I don't know, if, if you feel that that's like a bit, sad, like making you a bit sad, <laughs> getting back and checking the analytics <laughs> yeah. might be yeah. worse. I don't think it's got, it hasn't got to the point yet where I'm, I'm, I'm like saddened <laughs> Fully by his drama. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it, I definitely have become self-aware that I'm, I obsessively check Strava. So I'm not really a girl that, I don't really use Instagram. I have like one post from like two years ago. Yeah. Um, I don't use Facebook. Uh, I, I use Snapchat for like messaging purposes, that's it. But Strava... 
mm. is I check that obsessively because I, I also love seeing other people exercise. Like when Karina puts yeah. a run up or you, I love giving it like a like and being like, Little oh, well kudos. done. Yeah, that's sick. Like, well done, mate. Mm. But um, yeah, I definitely think it's a good thing. Yeah, I'm being a bit harsh because I think that's far better than everything else. Like in terms of no, seeing but it's still Instagram not healthy. Posts. Like it might be mm. better than using Instagram for two hours a day, but being on your phone, even if it's on a fitness app for two hours a day, is just wrong, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> yeah, good that it we cleared that up. <laughs> um, so I think I think that's that's great. We've covered quite a lot. Um, I think my final question to you would be: Do you think this is all a conspiracy? Bit of a conspiracy theory, <laughs> and kind of the big organisations and governments want us to kind of really go onto technology so they mm. can control our thoughts and everything we do. Yes, I right. agree. <laughs> end of podcast um i'm a bit confused at your question do you mean covid is a conspiracy yes is it is is covid uh just kind of man-made to make sure <laughs> everyone's gone gone onto screens and you can stop people from going out the house now from socializing and you can throw particular media sources yeah. just kind of control okay, well, everyone this is a crazy thing um when i was interrating i stayed at this swedish woman's house and um she was um, telling me, she's like, she's a bit off a fucking tit, she's crazy, but she was telling me that um, there's this global conspiracy which she fully believes that the government wants to eradicate, like, cash. And she, this was way before, so this was, like, a year and a half ago, way before the COVID thing came out, and she said that there's soon there's going to be something which makes everyone pay using their phones or stops people using cash, so then the government has control of all our money. And then... Um, I saw her post and I have her on Facebook after COVID came out she was like guys beware like because now you can't use cash in stores and things like that right you have yeah. to use um, your card which I guess doesn't really make sense as you have to touch your pin pad anyway which isn't sanitised after use mm. so that doesn't really make much sense but um, she, I've seen her posting lots so if you want to talk to anyone about the conspiracy hit up Monisa Eriksson <laughs> from Sweden because <laughs> she That's... has all the answers an interesting theory. I, I think mm. I remember uh, it was just over two years ago now, and I was in like a, a food market, and this was back when uh, might have been about three years ago now. Actually, mm. it was back when I was using cash all the time, and the reason was uh, I just kind of didn't like. I felt a bit too, you know, I had I had quite a bad addiction at the time, and I, I had if I had a card on me, I could be a bit reckless. Um, mm. so I'd always kind of usually I'd leave my card at home go in for the day's work with maybe 20-30 quid but that also means that you if you're on a budget you can't overspend so it's really useful yeah anyway so I was I was literally at a food market grabbing some lunch and I had a tenner I was about to get a burrito um, I think it was about £6.50 which is pretty pricey but that is oh well, well pricey and I ordered it all and it was all packaged up and then I gave them a tenner and they said uh, card only and I was like what you, you, you're a market can't you I haven't got a card and I just yeah. tried to give them the cash, but it didn't work. So they had to just not give me the burrito they made for me. And I think that was the first <laughs> time where <laughs> they're lost. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was the first time I just kind of thought, wow, I've that's the first time ever I've not been mm. able to use card for like something like that. I know there's obviously a lot of machines where you're buying an, I don't know, an Oyster card where there, there might be card only. But yeah. I don't know. I, it was weird for me because I thought cash is more legitimate than just some weird movement in a bank account because yeah. it's actual, it's physical and, and you have it. Um, whereas um, a malfunction or the bank's not having enough money, suddenly that doesn't mean anything to you because you haven't yeah. got it. It's exactly. So... That, that's um, like, I did think that lady in Sweden was a bit nuts, but she did make some valid points where as soon as it's in a bank, it's not in your control anymore. That's not kind of... The banks can do what they want with your money, basically. And yeah. it does kind of scare me seeing that everything's moving to card only. And like you said, it's kind of common now to go to a coffee shop and they're like card only. Mm. And you're like, what the fuck? It's like a £2 coffee. Like you've got two <laughs> quid on you, you have to use your card. Mm. It seems really bizarre. Yeah. And I'm in this tricky situation now because I've, um, I went on night out before lockdown and lost my bag. So I have no card, no ID, nothing. And, um, I had to cancel my card, so it's cancelled on Apple Pay too. And I have cash on me, but yeah. Audi won't accept cash. And neither will Asda or, or fucking Sainsbury's or Tesco's. <laughs> they all want card. So I am starving with wow. no yeah. food because <laughs> I um, can't eat. What's the page it's, that we can donate to? 
<laughs> yeah, I'll put the link. Yeah, it's just crazy. So yeah, um, yeah that that really. But I didn't realize how much like I relied on my card and that type of currency until mm. I lost it and I tried to use cash and nowhere will accept it, yeah. which is so bizarre. It's weird. I feel like that and a few other reasons sometimes you just sit there and think well was this all really the government's plan <laughs> or the, not even <laughs> yeah. the government like a higher a higher power mm. um but yeah i start thinking about that and then i'm just like yeah i'm hungry i'll make a sandwich um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll just get on no, with my life. there are some dodgy things going on though like, i'm not sure if you saw the video of that um fine nurse and her daughter trying to take their 90 year old grandmother away from the care home I did and, see that. Yeah, yeah, and she was arrested, and the grandmother yeah. was taken back. And you think, surely that's a violation of human rights. Like, mm. that's a private care home where they're entitled to put their grandma in or not, and they're being arrested. And I just think all the time now, anything that happens that's a bit dodgy. Like, I'm not sure we've seen as well in the news that the government spent four billion illegally to private contractors regarding COVID, and yeah. there's like an inquiry going on about it. And they're like, we can't tell you anything about it. It's just COVID. And it's just this thing where the government can now say to anything dodgy, like, why are you taking my nan away? Ah, oh, COVID, mate. COVID, yeah. Yeah, why are you arresting my 90-year-old nanny? Ah, oh, COVID. Mm. Where's Sorry, the 4 billion you're... gone? COVID. <laughs> COVID. I think you're taking my TV. No, COVID, mate. Yeah, um, <laughs> literally. It's a bit it's, mad. Yeah, it's worrying. Um, I just think it, that's happened for ever since... I mean, the whole history is like people just kind of taking advantage of a situation because they might have a certain power or yeah, or, like nine like eleven, yeah. like with the Ed- Edward Snowden thing, like uncovered that massive thing that the government was using nine eleven as an excuse to breach human rights about mm. like surveillance. And I feel like this is what's going on with COVID now. Like, I don't know, like that thing that was installed in everyone's phone about Bluetooth tracking for track yeah. and trace without their knowledge, which I think's fucking insane. Like, I'm mm. not a conspiracy theorist. I just think that's the same. <laughs> it, does anyway. sound, it does sound like you are a bit. <laughs> it does, does. I'm really coming across like I wear, like, tinfoil on my head. But, um, <laughs> like, I'm happy with them jacking me. I have nothing to hide. Um, yeah. But it's just, I just find it odd that we weren't given the option to install it on our phone. Yeah. But, I don't know, it, weird. It's all to do with, kind of, sometimes you, you feel that the government or, like, state, the state has a bit too much power over your lives, even in terms of the yeah. fact that you can get you can you can get locked up for kind of sitting in a room and just taking a, a substance and then lying on the bed, um, maybe, I don't know, having some sort of um, lucid dreams or... <laughs> some personal some... experience you're talking about. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. I just set in the scene of, like, someone taking LSD <laughs> yeah. at their home they kind of lay in bed, nothing happens, they wake up a few days later and they're off it and they just get back to their lives. Yeah. And you can get arrested for that, for like personal use of a drug. And it's kind of just weird that the state has power to, to do that or the state has power to take your 90-year-old grandma back from you because it's of... It's so odd. Yeah. And that's yeah. when it gets a little bit, I don't know, you feel a bit uneasy and um, yeah. particularly with anything to do with phones about kind of the, the privacy and security settings and yeah. their ability to for phone companies to access data and information about you. Exactly, yeah. like, again, like, so my last example, I know you're trying to wrap this up, but um, <laughs> like in Wales, like, when they cornered off everything but essential items, then it was like, who gets to decide what's essential? So you couldn't buy, like, what, bed sheets or anything like that, and you can only yeah. buy, like, <laughs> food. That was the only thing available and it's just like he it's just so odd the power people have because you can't even buy you're not even mm. in charge of your own like spending anymore the government tells you what you what is deemed essential yeah it's scary um it's scary i think what i try and again have done because i actually saw that that video of the the care home thing um because it, it, it was on social media funnily yeah. enough but I just try and uh, limit use because then if I don't see it, then I don't think about it. And then if I don't think about it, I don't get a bit sad and anxious. Mm. So I know it's kind of like that whole th- the whole saying of like, um, hear no evil, S- see no evil. <laughs> yeah, something like see that. See no evil, yeah. no evil, yeah. Yeah, whatever saying. <laughs> but well, it's like, kind yeah. of like if I turn my mm. head and it's not necessarily affecting me. And I, I still don't know whether that's the best way to do things um but i think i think it's necessary sometimes i mean you can't you can't always ignore really important issues um but like you said it it kind of becomes like you said before about joe rogan being a long media thing the issue with facebook is that you get sucked into these really short 30 second clips of horrible things happening 
um and some of them are very educational like the thing that happened with george floyd um that was all over social media and that's a short clip but it showed like how brutal the police were being yeah. But then there are just some things like sometimes I go on Facebook and I get absolutely sucked in for an hour watching like, I don't know, some chavs fly outside Tesco's. And I'm like, why am I watching this? Like, I've got better mm. things to do in my day. The, the Facebook and, and YouTube algorithms particularly, I don't know if you had um, a guy called Tristan Harris was on um, and he he did a documentary called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Oh, um, yeah, I've been told to watch that. Oh, it's unbelievable. It really, oh, really is. But it, it the, what scares me is the algorithms, because in a way, I, I spend a lot of time, time on YouTube and I, I do look at what's recommended. So, again, they can kind of recommend anything to me that they want me to see. So, yeah. if, like, for example, um, if someone was on Facebook and they clicked onto a George Floyd video, what would happen then is Facebook would look at what other people, other people who've looked at George Floyd videos and what they watch. So they probably watch a few more like Priest Brutality. So that yeah. person who's seen one one George Floyd video goes on to see loads and loads of videos of just police brutality. And then in their head, yeah. they just get a whole idea of American police just being this horrible outfit and they want to defund the police. Where in reality, there is examples of that, but that's not, there is, there is another, you know, there is a nice police yeah, officer. Yeah, no, I agree. So I agree. The, the algorithms scare me because it, you know, the more time you spend, the more kind of on one side, the more polarised you're going to be about an issue. That, I get that as well. Like, when I was saying before, if I watch a Russell Brand video, um, my recommended is, like, meditation, like, um, yoga with my dog. <laughs> and then if I watch, like, when I watch the Joe Rogan and Milo Yiannopoulos one, all my recommended was, like, liberal... Um, it was like, Milo Yiannopoulos makes liberal cry. Like, <laughs> Milo Yiannopoulos destroys liberal... And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched any of this shit. Yeah. And it's just yeah. because you clicked onto that one video. Yeah. And, you you know, we want to be in control of what we see. So, and, and a way to do that is to not necessarily use these applications and just try mm. and kind of live more in the normal world. Um, yeah. 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 Um, we've done more than an hour, which is my, um, which is a record for the podcast. Oh, um, so congratulations and thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, I think we, to be honest, we could have gone on for another hour. There's so much to discuss, but we could yeah. always uh, venture into another podcast. Part um, two. Kind of, part two, oh, 100%. I think we should do purely conspiracy theories next time. That would be very interesting. Yeah. My heart um, rate's risen. Yeah. I'm checking my app. <laughs> I know it is. We're, we're definitely going to Google conspiracy theories tonight um, and <laughs> yeah. just get lost in some sort of conspiracy hole. Mm. <laughs> but yeah thank you for uh, it's good to to hear about your u- uni experience and yeah it's um, really interesting yeah. actually hearing about yours and a, a yeah. little bit depressing but <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. that's fine i'll just cry somewhere <laughs> brilliant thank you for your time jess and uh, you. i'm sure we'll speak again